gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. It is Monday, August the 29th, 2016. Simon Head and Shamat Karsandu back behind the mic to bring you our British take on the big talking points in the world of mixed martial arts. On this week's show, we'll take a look back at the main card at USC on Fox in Vancouver, Canada. As Damian Meyer stakes a huge claim for a shot at the UFC welterweight title. Then we'll throw back a week to talk about UFC 202 and ask the question that's on everyone's lips after that epic main event between Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz. What exactly is next for Conor McGregor? Something else that we've been waiting for an answer for has finally landed in our laps. We've been waiting for weeks. Finally, it's confirmed. Michael Bisbin will face Dan Henderson at UFC 204 in Manchester in the middle of the night on BT Sport in the UK and live on pay-per-view in the US. We'll break down all the talking points surrounding that event. And of course, we'll talk about the biggest free agent signing in the world of mixed martial arts as Rory MacDonald becomes the latest star to join the ranks of Bellator MMA. And we'll wrap things up as we do every week with your questions as tweeted to us via our Twitter account at the Brit Pack MMA. It's great to be back in the UK after a crazy week in Vegas last time out. Hope you enjoyed the UFC 202 special. But it's great to be back behind the mic with my buddy Sandu. We haven't caught up in a week. Sandu, how's things been going, buddy? It's been going all right, mate. Not too bad. Uh, I missed you, mate. I missed you. It doesn't feel the same when we're not able to reflect back on a week of MMA uh, on our our usual Monday night chats. But uh, well done on getting uh, the media recap. I think it went down really well. I think everyone really likes to get the media reaction. uh, And you did a good job getting to the who's who of our international media colleagues. That was a really great episode. Uh, On my side, I've been all right. Um, I've had some family over from Toronto. My brother-in-law just sent him on his merry way back to Canada yesterday. And uh, and yeah, it's been good. It's been good. I think the last couple of UFC events, uh, 202 and this past weekend, especially the main card uh, with that Vancouver show, uh, was really, really good. And uh, we've obviously got some you know, Bellator-related news with regards to Rory McDonald, which we'll get to a little bit later on in the show. But as ever, so many things to discuss, so many talking points in the world of MMA. Uh, but it's good to finally be uh, back on the airwaves with my good friend Simon Head. Great stuff. Good to be back, mate. Good to be back. And uh, yeah, Vegas was good. Um... Just want to extend a huge thanks to everybody who, who came on the show. Ariel Helwani, John Morgan, uh, Danny Austin, uh, Adam Hill from the Las Vegas Review Journal, uh, who is the go-to man. If you ever need to go to Las Vegas and you need to know where to go, talk to Adam Hill. He knows that place like the back of his hand. And, of course, our good friends from, uh, from Down Under, the boys from Submission Radio. They were good value as well. That was then. Let's throw things forward a little bit. Uh, UFC on Fox... Uh, took place this weekend in uh, in Vancouver, British Columbia. A crowd of over ten and a half thousand packed the Rogers Arena for 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 a card that saw Damian Meyer really really make the, perhaps the biggest statement of his UFC career so far as he as he defeated Carlos Condit. We will talk about that in a second. But uh, what I wanted to do, Sandy, I wanted to pick your brains about the first fight on that main card. We had a four fight main card and uh, two of the UFC's most respected. Uh, lightweight content, what say contenders, lightweight campaigners, if you like, Jim Miller and Joe Lozon, uh, really threw down for three highly competitive rounds. The split decision went Jim Miller's way. How did you score that one, Sandy? 
I scored it for Lausanne, uh, 29-28, um, but it was such a closely contested fight. And I suppose it's easy for us watching on TV, where I suppose we've got the best angle of every, you know all the action as it goes. But you've got three judges sitting on different sides of the octagon, and, and who knows what their angle is and what they're seeing. But I thought it was a clear decision uh, to give Joe Lausanne um, the 29-28 uh, scorecard. Um, but looking at MMADecisions.com, it looks like the majority... Um, uh, of the MMA media seem to agree, uh, but that went against what the judges saw on the night. And Jim Miller got the double. You know, he he had already beaten uh, Joe Lozon at UFC 155, which I believe was either a contender or the fight of the year back in 2012. So, um, and he got the double. Um, and I, and I, I suppose it was really good to see both of them interact on social media after the fact. Uh, showing the ultimate sign of respect. Lozon basically saying in, in no uncertain words that he's never going to go against the judge's decision. And Miller basically saying, look, Lozon, I respect you so much. You're the kind of guy or kind of fighter um, I, I would love for my kids to look up to. So it's great to see. Like you said, very competitive fight. I scored it for Lozon. How did you score it, Si? I've got to admit, I had it for Lozon as well. But having said that, um, the one thing you could never accuse this fight of being is a robbery. Either way, I mean, it was such a it was such a competitive back and forth contest, um, and it really does depend on how, how how you view the fight from from Octagon side. It was really interesting. Just throwing back to UFC two hundred two briefly, um, when people were talking about the uh, the Diaz McGregor fight, it was really interesting. There was a real split of opinion. All the guys who were sat on press row scored, or pretty much everyone I spoke to, scored the fight for McGregor. But it's interesting, a fair few of the guys in the back, uh, the guys from Submission Radio and also uh, Kenny Hathaway from MMA Junkie, they scored the fight 48-47 for Diaz. And they're obviously watching the fight on the screen compared to what we're doing. We're watching the fight from Oxygen's side. So it is interesting. You do sometimes get these discrepancies when you get a really close, well-contested fight. People see different things depending on depending on the viewing angle and Obviously, the judges, they're, they're, they're sort of positioned around octagon side. I wonder whether there would be any value to having a judge uh, watching exclusively on a monitor. Um, just to to cover off that, that side of things as well. I don't know. You don't want four judges, obviously, because that's going to muddy the water. You know, you, it opens you up to a lot more draws. But um, that's an interesting one. I don't know whether anyone out there has got any opinion on how we might be able to just tweak the judging I know the scoring criteria has, has been hasn't been changed as much it's just been it's just been sharpened a little bit so the judges have, have got a much clearer idea of how they're scoring rounds um, and, and, and that's really useful but in terms of where the judges are actually watching the action from I wonder whether people out there have got an opinion on on the, on how that is because at the moment they're all just sat at octagon side but it was as, as you say Sandy, it was a really close fight um, certainly not a robbery either way and uh yeah, I wonder. I do wonder. I do wonder how many more fights both of these guys have got in them. Just because they're, they're they're those sort of fighters, they go in there and they throw down, and invariably they get involved in in sort of decisions and and, and five round wars and things or three round wars. And you know they they've been doing this for a long time, and they're both hugely respected. I wonder how much longer they've both got in the sport, just from their own health perspective. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know with Jim Miller and Joe Lozon, what you've got. Are fighters that are going to give you value. You're, you're going to get the, you know, the hardcore MMA community really tune in because they know what they're going to get out of these two chaps. But, but going back to what you just said about the judges, I think that's a really, really interesting uh, talking point. And that's, that could be perhaps a whole segment on its own because I think perhaps 
it's been discussed that the judges could potentially be out of the arena altogether because there's not just the the viewing angle but sometimes there's the idea of perhaps judges being swayed by fan reaction being swayed by perhaps uh, the commentary booth you know what Joe Rogan and Goldie are saying or what Brian Stan or what John Anik are saying as they call the action so to completely take them out of the arena and put them in their own secluded rooms where they're literally just watching the action with no commentary with the perfect angle on the TV screens. That could perhaps be the future of judging as we go forward. But I think it's something that's going to perhaps, you know, evolve over time um, as a sport inevitably, um, you know, you know, grows with the time, so to speak. We've just obviously seen in, in, the, in, the, in the football world or the soccer world, so to speak, for our American uh, listeners, where we finally had some goal line technology implemented over the last couple of years. And how long did that take, Simon? Oh, well, that's ridiculous. finally get introduced into the sport. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think for things like that, it's much more clear cut because when you're talking about goal line technology in, in, in soccer, it's literally uh, it's a matter of fact you're dealing with. Has, has the whole of the ball crossed the whole of the goal line? And it's, it's, it's a very simple... Uh, yes no statement and if the answer is yes it's a goal judging is is much more is much more uh is much more uh, subjective so it's it's one of those where it's always in the opinion of the people there and i do i do think it's it's relevant to have people in the arena and up close because sometimes you see stuff on tv and you think wow that you know but then when you're there at octagon side you know for a fact that you know a, a certain shot that might look like it landed from the camera actually didn't land at all because you're right on top of it. So I think I think there's arguments for and against. I like the idea of maybe having one judge uh, sort of locked away in a locked away in a padded room somewhere um, and with uh, with with just with just the pictures. Um, I like that idea. Um, but I think I think uh, having having them octagon side in the main is is, is the best place to have them. But I I, I do think it's a subject that you know, there's a conversation that could be had and a bit of a debate over how how can we improve judging? I mean, in the main, the judging isn't too bad. You tend to get the odd anomalous score where people go, well, what on earth was that judge watching? Um, but in the main, you tend to, you tend to get a, a reasonable amount of consistency in the sport. It's just how can we make it better? How can we make it more consistent? But um, the one thing we do know coming out of that particular fight, the Miller-Lozon fight, it was a great fight. And both guys, as you would expect, are two... Uh, two UFC uh, veterans, you know, they, they they both came away uh, very respectful of each other, and it really sort of heightened the. It showed the sport in the way that you want it to be shown. I thought that was superb stuff. Um, moving on to the uh, the next fight after that, Paige Van Zandt. I mean, she was a few months ago. She was she was twirling away around the dancing dancing with the stars dance floor, showing her footwork on the on the dance floor, and now she's shown some pretty handy footwork. In the octagon, I thought she lost that first round against Beck Rawlings, so I thought did pretty well. Um, dominated most of the striking exchanges, I thought. And then in in uh, in a corner between rounds, it sounded like um, Van Zant's cornerman was saying, "Stop trying to throw all this wild stuff and just get back to basics." And then she came straight out for the second round, totally ignored what her corner said, threw in a, a huge karate kid style switch kick that landed flush, and then the fight was over. It was. Absolutely spectacular. I don't think enough has been made of this finish. I don't know what you think, Sandu, because when Lyoto Machida did it on Randy Couture, people completely lost their minds. When Anderson Silva did that snapping front kick on Vitor Belfort, everyone went apeshit. Paige Van Zandt is a, is a women's strawweight fighter. 
you don't get stoppages like this at the lighter weight classes. And you certainly don't see them very often in, in, in women's fights. And then, bang, she produces this unbelievable highlight reel moment. I think people should be going gaga over this. What do you think? I agree. Um, maybe perhaps the Machida and the Anton Silva examples, because they were on pay-per-view, they were on big blockbuster events for the UFC, and those were one of the you know biggest talking points coming out of those events, especially the Anton Silva one. I mean, at that that's part of the, the UFC kind of graphics package intro for all of their big pay-per-views now. Um, and I think it's like one of the most classic images of his the ball of his foot just landing flush on Vitor Belfort's chin. But I've seen this Paige Van Zandt, like you mentioned, this Karate Kid-style crane kick. Some people call it a switch kick. Call it whatever you want. It is spectacular. Uh, I've seen it in slow motion. I've seen it from different angles. And going back to the first round, she was trying a few things like that. She was trying a few flying knees and a, and a, few, and a, and a, and a few aerial technical attacks, so to speak. But there was so much distance between her and Beck Rawlings. You could probably park a few London buses between them. Um, so there was there was quite a bit of distance. And I didn't think you know, there was going to be, you know, um, um, you know, she. I don't think she was close enough to actually engage and, and get um, some of these aerial attacks connected to to Beck Rawlings. But you know, opening the second round after the first ten or fifteen seconds, she landed that flush, and it was just beautiful to see. And like you said, you don't really see um, that kind of action uh, in the lower cl- weight classes, especially in the women's weight classes. And and I've done what I can. I mean, I've posted it, you know, as a gif in a video on my Twitter timeline. I know that the UFC have done it uh, on their social media. Uh, and perhaps you know, leading up to Paige Van Zandt's next fight. That'll be something that'll be replayed again and again and again. Uh, it, certainly very, very spectacular. And, and I don't think Paige Van Zandt's going to be capable of you know, landing something like that um, again in her entire career for as young as she is. But hey, if she keeps practicing and she can, then for sure, that's going to be something that will be a major talking point for years to come. Absolutely. I mean, that, that actually meant that she became the, uh, the owner of the, the most finishes in UFC strawway history. Admittedly, it's quite a short history because the weight division is, is brand new. She's got three stoppage finishes, which is, which is great. Uh, she earned $50,000 for a performance of the night bonus for that TKO finish as well. Um, I think it's great. And I think her attitude going into that fight was, was, was fantastic. A lot of people were talking, asking, her, you know, we, you know, we are a little bit surprised you're coming back. We thought you would go off and do all these celebrity things now. And I thought her response was great. She was said, she said, well, nobody's saying this to Antonio Brown, you know, who the NFL NFL staff from the Pittsburgh Steelers who who went on to uh, the same season of Dancing with the Stars and did very well as well. Um, no one was asking him those questions. It was just assumed that it was a little a little break and that he would go back into the NFL and, and carry on with his career. And that's exactly how Paige is seeing this. It, it, it's a nice extra thing to do, another string to her bow. It might give her opportunities when she does decide to hang her gloves up. But, you know, she's had nine career fights. I think she's seven and two. And uh, this is this is still quite early in her career. She's moving her way up the ladder. If she keeps putting people away uh, in that sort of fashion, then it won't be that long before people start thinking, OK, she might not be far off contendership soon because it's not the deepest division in the world. Um, but I think she needs to pick up another couple of impressive wins, maybe another fight against Rosanami Yunus a bit further down the line, just to gauge her level of um, level of development. Obviously, she got dominated in that fight last December. Um, but who knows? You know, Paige Van Zandt as a potential title challenger in maybe 18 months, two years down the line. I don't think that's unreasonable. Uh, I, I think we could potentially see that. I mean, what do you reckon? 
Yeah, I think if we can, you know, if the UFC can match her up with the likes of maybe a, um, a Jessica Penne, who was in Beck Rawlings' corner, or maybe a Valerie Letourneau, someone, you know, like, you know, one or two fights with the likes of, you know, girls like that, then uh, perhaps we can see her progression. I'd like to see Paige Van Zandt maybe just perhaps fight twice a year. Like you said, she's really, really young. She's got a lot of opportunities outside of the UFC. Um, she did, you know, give uh, a, a, you know quite a significant quote earlier in in, in fight week, essentially saying um, that you know she obviously got paid a lot more uh, doing Dancing with the Stars than she you know than she gets you know fighting for the UFC. Um, but I think you know maybe fighting a couple of times a year and having that time and that room to develop her, her skill set with Team Alpha Male, being able to cash in on some of the opportunities outside of the UFC and also bringing that media attention back with her when she does fight could perhaps be the right move. But I think you're right. I think if you can fight someone, um, you know, in the top 10 consistently for the next kind of year to 18 months and she continues to perform like that and win, then for sure, then I think she'll be ready for a title shot. Absolutely. And the sport of MMA is, is absolutely littered with stories of, of comebacks and failed comebacks, people who've fallen on hard times, picked themselves up and reinvented their game and come back again. And uh, that takes us to the co-main event. Anthony Showtime Pettis uh, looked like he was on, in, in, in usual UFC math terms, you know, he'd, he'd lost a few fights in a row. I think he lost three in a row. And had he lost again, people were thinking, would, would the UFC actually cut this guy? You know, he was on the front of a Wheaties box a year ago, 18 months ago. Uh, he lost his title and he couldn't buy a win. He's dropped down to 145 pounds. Uh, so he's dropped from one super stacked weight division to another super stacked weight division, jumped straight in there with one of the top contenders in that division, Charles Oliveira, and uh, put him away uh, by submission, which is no mean feat against a guy like Oliveira, who is absolutely uh, top drawer on the mat. Put him away in the third round after after a really, really good performance. I mean, Anthony Pettis, is this is this the next new contender? 145 pounds. I mean, there's enough guys already queuing up uh, to fight for that belt. But is is he straight in the mix right now? Um, I'm not sure about that. I think we've got to um, let him develop his 145 career. But I mean, talk about pressure coming off three straight losses in the UFC. I mean, he was once rated as one of the pound for pound best fighters in the world. And I thought it was a little bit of a Hail Mary for him to drop down uh, to 145. And, and, and apparently, um, having you know, listened to our you know, good friend John Morgan on, on his um, podcast, the MMA Roadshow, um, it looks like his manager, Malki Kawa, was the one that was really putting the pressure on him to make the move down to 145. And looking at some of the images uh, during fight week of him cutting down to 145, you know, he looked pretty sucked in. So I was kind of curious to find out, you know, and curious to see what kind of performance we were going to get out of him. Um, and he looked pretty good in the first round. He got those liver kicks in, which were just horrendous. I, I thought at one point he was going to stop Oliveira with those um, kicks to the liver. Uh, but Oliveira, you know, did fight back and, you know, gave Anthony some trouble in the second round. Uh, but, you know, most importantly, he got the win, Anthony Pettis. He got it. Um, you know, sometimes people forget he's got a really good jiu-jitsu game. Um, he was able to do um, Gilbert Melendez in the same guillotine choke. He beat Benza Henderson, I believe, with an armbar yep. uh, when they fought uh, for the second time. Um, so maybe that's a, you know, an underrated part of his game where maybe fighters don't think about that too much and they kind of think of him as this flashy um, aerial technique and you know uh, kicking type of fighter, action fighter, so to speak. But, but yeah, big, big, big win for Anthony Pettis. And I think now it really opens the door 
to the possibilities at featherweight. And again, and I know we're going to get to this a little bit later on. It could perhaps all you know rest on what happens with Conor McGregor because I think with Anthony Pettis, the fight I'd personally like to see is him fight Frankie Edgar at the perhaps at the New York card at UFC 205. I think that's a, a fantastic stylistic matchup. Uh, I know I remember Frankie Edgar when he dropped down from 155 to 145. It, he he openly admitted it took him a couple of fights to get used to the weight class, and that might be the same case for for Anthony Pettis. Now maybe he might change his lifestyle a little bit and not drift too far off uh, from that weight of 145. Um, but if McGregor doesn't fight Aldo next for uh, the unification bout. Who knows? Aldo and Pettis were once upon a time supposed to fight. Maybe we can get that fight on again. Um, I don't think it's the right move for Pettis to fight immediately for the title after just one fight. By the way, I think if McGregor isn't going to come down um, to defend his 145 title, then I think Max Holloway should get the, the nod uh, and get into that title uh, fight picture. I'd personally like to see Pettis fight uh, Frankie Edgar next. What do you think, Si? Totally agree. I was asked this question on Twitter um, and so basically asked, you know, who who should Pettis fight next? And I said, well, there's, you know, there's a logjam above him, so he's he's not in championship contention yet. If he beats Frankie Edgar, then he's legitimately a championship contender. So Edgar's coming off a loss to Jose Aldo. He needs an opponent, and he wants someone who's going to keep him in and around that 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 upper echelon. And Pettis is a former world champion in a weight class above. It'll be a it'll be a fight between two former UFC lightweight uh, champions. So that sells itself. Um, I think, you know, MMA, MMA, long-time MMA fans will love that matchup. I really believe that. I think Edgar versus Pettis is absolutely, you know, the fight to do. And completely agree. I think Max Holloway deserves his shot at UFC gold. I think, I honestly don't think McGregor is is, is going to fight at 145 again. We will talk about that uh, a little bit later on in the show. But I think Aldo has to take on uh, Max Holloway. Um, whether it's for the interim belt, whether it's for the full belt, that's the fight I want to see happen next. Um, and I think this division needs to be kick-started, needs to get moving again. And obviously you've got a lot of young stars moving up a bit further down the ranks. You've got the likes of Yair Rodriguez, Duho Choi, people like this moving up. Um, so, we've, you know, there's there's an awful lot to be excited about at 145 pounds, but that weight division really does need a kick-start. Um, and maybe Pettis joining, joining the fray um, and jumping in there with, with Frankie Edgar next. Uh, makes a lot of sense. So I'd love to see that as well. Uh, but in terms of the win that he got on the weekend, that's a real statement from Pettis. That shows that he's he's far from finished. Oliveira is, is the real deal. It, only the guys at the very, very top of the division get past Charles Oliveira. So so uh, I think that basically marks Pettis out straight away as a top four, top five contender straight off the bat. So looking forward to seeing how they match that up going forward. Uh, that brings us to our main event. Uh, it was a fight that I think when I, I saw a pre-fight poll and I think 71% um, of the people polled, um, who, who voted, sorry, said that Carlos Condit was going to win this fight. I thought Carlos Condit was going to win this fight. Uh, both the panellists on the on, on the UFC's pre-fight show thought Carlos Condit was going to win this fight. But Damian Meyer, I mean, you, you go in there, sometimes you see these big heavy-handed strikers and they've got the ability to finish a fight with one punch. They've got that that knockout fight-ending power. Damian Meyer has that, but it's not in his punches, it's in his jiu-jitsu. If the fight gets to the mat, Carlos Condit is a world-class fighter, and I believe he should probably be holding 
or should have defended the UFC World Away Championship by now because I thought we beat Lawler back in January. So, uh, so for Damian Meyer to handle Carlos Condit in less than two minutes, statements don't get much bigger than that in a World Away division. And I think the guy deserves his title shot. I think if one of the boys next for Tyron Woodley, and it certainly looks like it, then I think Damian Meyer um, has to slot in below, uh, below those two and be the next guy up for the belt. I thought that was an outstanding performance from him. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to write off Maya ever again. I, like yourself, and like many others, were picking Carlos Condit to, to win this fight. But yet again, Maya takes literally hardly any damage. I think he took one significant strike from Carlos Condit uh, before he was able to take him down, take his back, and slip on the, the, the rear naked choke. It's just absolutely phenomenal the way this guy is able to do it again and again and again at the age of 38 years old, Simon. I mean... I'm I'm 32 and you know I, I'm having bad back problems and knee problems. This guy's 38, at the top of his game. He just continues to get better, and uh, and I think at that age, it's not the worst thing in the world if he can take six months off, figure out. Let's see what happens with the title picture. But he's definitely got to be right up there in in title contention next. Um, I think he said in his post fight interview that look, you know, if he can get the title fight now. Fantastic, due to his age and compared to how much younger Wonderboy Wonderboy is. But if Stephen Thompson gets a title shot, that's absolutely fine. He'll take a step back, see how things develop. But much like the featherweight division, um, a lot's going to depend on the X factor. With the featherweight division's X factor being Conor McGregor, I think the X factor here, or the unknown, so to speak, for the welterweight division is will or will or won't GSP come back? And if he comes back. Will he take a, a super fight? Will he will he fight Tyron Woodley for the title? Um, one of the things that Stephen Wonderboy said um, during the week is, you know, and I think he got a lot of heat for it from a lot of people online. Um, maybe he shouldn't have said it, but he did say, you know, if things don't work out for the title shot straight away, he would be open to fighting the winner of Condit versus Meyer. So there's also the possibility of that happening if GSP does in fact come back and fight Tyron Woodley, perhaps Maya versus Wonderboy as a co-main event would make a lot of sense. But in regards to a meritocracy, Maya's certainly done enough to get a title shot, just like Wonderboy's done enough to get a title shot. Absolutely. I mean, that's six wins on the spin for Damian Maya. Carlos Condit, Matt Brown, Gunnar Nelson, Neil Magny, Ryan LaFlair, and Alexander Yakovlev. Um, you know, he's been in there, he's done, he's done the business on a consistent basis. And just looking back through his record... He hasn't been finished since August 2009. That's that's a ridiculous run. That is a ridiculous run. And in that welterweight division, that is quite quite a record to boast. You know, he's dropped a couple of decisions here and there um, against against uh, strikers who've been able to keep things at range and, and win the fight at distance. But he seems to have adapted his game now. He isn't he isn't a one trick pony now. He's got enough enough of a striking game and he's improved his footwork to the point that he's able to close the distance and get his hands on strikers with the uh, with the ability of a Carlos Condit or a Matt Brown. And he's got the Matt ability to deal with fellow grapplers like Gunnar Nelson or wrestling first fighters like Neil Magny. So to be able to go in there and deal with these different styles and basically put them all away um, in, in, in impressive fashion, that shows that even at the age of 38, He's still evolving as a as, as a fighter, and uh, I think the guy deserves his he deserves his chance. And uh, if he goes in there and he gets blown out 
or he, you know, he loses a decision, fine. But, you know, the guy has done, he's done the hard yards, he's put in, he's put in the hours, and he's racked up those wins. I think he deserves his shot. I agree with you on the GSP thing. I think uh, GSP was the champion. He never lost the belt. So I think if he does come back and he wants to fight for the title, I think there is, I think there's an obligation there to give him his shot if he wants to, if he wants to jump straight back in and fight Tyron Woodley. I'd, I'd have no, I'd have no issue with that. And you know, I'd, I'm not, I'm not someone who particularly agrees with money fights in the main, but I think uh, that would just be a case of GSP having had his sabbatical, coming back and looking to carry on where he left off. Um, so that would be. I, I think I think that would make absolute sense. Um, Wonder Boy then would take on Damian Meyer, I guess. You've got Elite Striker versus Elite Grappler. That would be a real clash of styles. It'd be almost like a throwback fight, um, just to see which style would 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 prevail in a head-to-head contest. Um, in the main, though, I'd like to see Wonder Boy Thompson get that title shot next, and for Damian Meyer to take on the winner. Um, we we do not know yet what GSP is going to do. I have a feeling he is going to come back. I'm not sure what weight class he's going to come back at, um, but uh, yeah, it'd be very interesting to see to you know to see just what happens with GSP. But if we leave him to one side for the minute, I think Damian Maya needs to fight the winner of Wonderboy versus Tyron Woodley. I think that's an absolute no-brainer. Great performance from him. I think he won a post-fight bonus as well. I think he got 50 Gs as well. So uh, huge, huge win for him. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with Carlos Condit next. He's been wavering a little bit. Um, I remember I, I spoke to him before he fought Robbie Lawler. And even then, he was talking like a man who was preparing for retirement. And obviously, he had that fight against Lawler, which he which he lost on the scorecards. I know a lot of people thought he won. I'm, I, I was certainly one of them. And uh, after that fight, it sounded like he might have had enough. And he's making those noises again now. So... It does make you wonder what what's next for Carlos Condit. Is he has he got the desire to jump back in there, do another grueling training camp, and take on an elite level contender again? Because he's come so close. I know he held the interim belt, but he's come so close to actually getting to the top of the mountain. He's just fallen short. Um, has he got it in him for one more run? I'd like to see it, but only if he wants it. You know, you don't want to see a guy in there fight who doesn't want to fight anymore. I mean, what's your take on Condit? Well, yeah, I mean, he's been in a lot of wars, uh, most recently the one against Robbie Lawler to kickstart the 2016 year for, for the UFC. Um, he didn't take too much damage, so to speak, in the fight with Meyer, uh, but that was the first time he's been submitted in 10 years, and I guess that just shows what kind of caliber of jiu-jitsu practitioner Damian Meyer is. I think with Carlos Condit, it was quite telling in the post-fight press conference where he kind of said he didn't belong here anymore, which... I think if you ask anyone that's educated on the sport and any you know fan or member of the media, they'd completely disagree with him. I, I think it might even come down to what he goes through in between fights, what kind of sparring and training he's going through. And, and I think he's very self-aware with regards to uh, brain damage and looking after his long-term health. So if Carlos Condit wants to hang it up, then fine, absolutely. Listen, thank you for your kind of service, so to speak, to the sport. Thank you for all the great memories and wish you nothing but the best. But frankly speaking, as a fan of the sport, I'd still like to see Carlos Condit compete. I think he can compete. Um, he's definitely still, in my book, a, a top 10 welterweight uh, in the world. I'd love to see uh, the Matt Brown fight. Uh, that's been a fight that's been talked about for quite some time. Um, so I, st- I think he's still got a lot to offer. I think it just comes down to, like you said, Stein, what he wants to do. Uh, and whatever he wants to do, I'll be happy with it. 
Absolutely. I mean, if if I was listing my my, my favourite fighters to watch, uh, Condit would be in my top three, no question. I mean, he he always brings it. He's a, I think he's I think he's a great character. I really I really uh, I really like you know the way he goes about his business and. I actually think he wouldn't make a terrible pundit if he decided to hang the gloves up and Fox wanted to give him a give him a regular seat on the panel. Uh, I think he would be a very uh, a very cerebral um, analyst of the game. I think he would be he would be very interesting to listen to on a regular basis. But whatever happens with Carlos Condit, um, as you say there, I think everyone who is involved in the sport and has been following this great sport of MMA for any length of time uh, has got. A little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, favoritism towards Carlos Condit just because of the the guy he is and the way he goes out there and puts it all on the line. I think there's a there's a huge amount of respect for him in the sport. If he decides now's the time to hang him up, all the very best to him, and we wish him every happiness in his retirement. If he wants to carry on, happy days. We are going to look forward to seeing more Carlos Condit fights in the future. But that one is is all down to him and. Uh, you know, we hope whatever decision he makes, it's it's the right one for him and his family. Uh, that was UFC on Fox Twenty One from Vancouver, Canada. Let's very briefly take a take a, a look back at UFC Two Hundred Two, and we touched on it briefly just a second ago, talking about Conor McGregor. As everybody now knows, Conor McGregor uh, got his revenge at UFC Two Hundred Two, winning by majority decision over Nate Diaz. One judge scored it a forty-seven forty-seven draw. The other two were in agreement that it was a 48-47 victory for Conor McGregor. Now, it tees up a whole load of different possibilities right now. He's the UFC featherweight champion. He's effectively had the division on hold for nearly nine months now. Um, so that there's, is he going to go down and defend his title? Because he still isn't a, reign, so he isn't a defending champion yet. Is he going to jump ship? to lightweight and go for Eddie Alvarez and the UFC lightweight title? Or is he going to take himself out of that completely and just look for money fights and maybe go after Diaz again towards the end of the year? I know that's a fight that Diaz certainly wants to have again. Options galore for Conor McGregor. It could have been oh so different if he'd lost, but he's won. And he said something at the end of the press conference. Um, they were talking about um, Dana White said that he will move down and take on Jose Aldo in his next fight to defend that belt. Uh, McGregor addressed that, started talking in gen- generalizations about his career, and then he finished with this zinger, where he basically said, the shit is going to hit the fan, I feel. So, what is going to happen with Conor McGregor next? And what do you want to see happen with Conor McGregor next, Sanduk? Because he's he's a man, he's sitting at the poker table, and he's got a handful of aces in front of him right now. He, he can pretty much call his shot, can't he? He absolutely can. Um, I think what we've got with McGregor, first to your point about not defending his, his championship. I mean, you go back to his days at Cage Warriors. He became the featherweight champion, didn't defend it, moved up to lightweight, won the Cage Warriors lightweight championship, didn't defend it, and then he moved over to the UFC. So it's, it's no knock on McGregor, but he's never defended any championship he's ever won. Um, so I think it would be nice to see that. But let's take a look at the landscape. He's got the obvious one, the big money fight with Nate Diaz, the trilogy fight. That right now, if you were Joe Silver, Sean Shelby, and Dana White, and you had one more pay-per-view to put on, you'd have McGregor Diaz 3 as the main event, without question. They've already done it twice this year. 
uh, it's broken all sorts of metrics and records. That's the biggest possible money fight that they could put on. Second option for McGregor is to go back to what he was initially promised earlier this year, which is a chance to fight for the UFC lightweight championship. At the time, he was supposed to fight Rafael Dos Anjos at UFC 196. The UFC granted him that. Uh, obviously, Rafael Dos Anjos pulled out due to injury. And, you know, you, you, you know, there was a lot said about Nate Diaz stepping in on short notice. Um, you know, I think it was 11 or 12 days to fight McGregor. But at the same time, that was also a short notice fight for McGregor with regards to giving up the weight, essentially agreeing to Diaz's terms of, of you know, fighting at welterweight. Um, and, and also for him, fighting a, a man he wasn't prepared for. And we saw when he was able to finally prepare for uh, the longer, heavier uh, fighter in Nate Diaz, that he was able to to get the judges' scorecard in his favor and win that fight. And then ultimately, you've got the Jose Aldo rematch. Jose Aldo, who's the interim featherweight champion. But McGregor does make a good point that, look, we've seen this fight before and we've seen how it ends it was a 13-second knockout. It wasn't any. It wasn't a controversial fight. Um, you know, it was quite definitive. So there's a lot of options there for McGregor, but then there's also the external option. You know, there's been a lot made this year with Floyd Mayweather. Uh, we've seen Amir Khan recently come out and say that he'd be willing to fight McGregor in the UFC, which you know raised a lot of eyebrows. And the fact that McGregor said that he was looking at options outside of the sport made me wonder. You know, could he perhaps finally get a boxing match on, whether it's in the UFC or whether it's completely out of the UFC uh, with a with a boxing ring? Or, or how about this as a complete, you know, uh, off the ball uh, type of uh, idea? We've seen McGregor Simon have a lot of uh, interaction, so to speak, through his quotes, interviews, and press conferences with the world of professional wrestling. Could perhaps McGregor take some time off and maybe make a special appearance at an upcoming WWE? Uh, pay-per-view we've seen uh, in the past where you know Floyd Mayweather made an appearance and then quote-unquote fought the big show at WrestleMania could perhaps McGregor have some sort of deal with the WWE to make an appearance and cash in some money there um, so I think both within the sport of MMA and in the UFC he's got some legitimate you know uh, options at both welterweight lightweight and featherweight but if, if he can't you know, come to some sort of agreement with the UFC brass. And, and I think that's the main talking point now. It's this power play between Dana White, the UFC management, and Conor McGregor as to what is the next thing to do. If McGregor doesn't fight Aldo, is Dana White going to stick to his word and strip him of his featherweight championship? That would be unbelievable move if they did that. So I think there's so many options there. But if you're going to put a gun to my head and you ask me which fight you would like to see next, I personally would like to see him come back to featherweight. I think he's had had the division on hold uh, for quite some time. Yes, you know, he lost to Nate Diaz, and it was because of his obsession, so to speak, that he was granted the rematch in um, straight away with Diaz. But I think enough's enough now. Come back to featherweight and defend your belt or unify the championship with Jose Aldo. And then after that, he can you know go back to essentially... Um, doing what he wants to do, which is perhaps become a two-weight champion um, and uh, and go for that lightweight championship against Eddie Alvarez or whoever may be the championship um, at some point in the future. But I think the interesting thing here is if he doesn't go to featherweight, will UFC strip him of his championship belt? And that's going to be very interesting to see. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's 
that's going to be the sticking point, I think. Because here's the thing, right? When he, the reason why he wanted to fight for a lightweight title wasn't just because he wanted to be the lightweight champion of the UFC. It wasn't just because he wanted to be a two-weight champion in the UFC. He wanted to make history. He wanted to be the first guy in UFC history to hold two world championships in separate weight divisions. That has never been done before. Randy Couture has won, weight, uh, won in two weight classes. BJ Penn has won in two weight classes. But they never held those belts concurrently. What McGregor wanted to do when he took that fight with uh, Rafael dos Anjos was to be able to walk away from UFC 19. What was it? UFC 194? UFC 196. UFC 196. He wanted to walk away from UFC 196 with one belt over one shoulder, one belt over the other shoulder, and be the defending reigning champion in two weight classes. The problem came when uh, Dos Anjos got injured. The timeline just got extended. So he took he took the fight with Diaz because all credit to McGregor. He wanted to save the show. He wanted to still earn his money. He still wanted to be uh, able to, to, to compete on that event. And he did that. All credit to him. The fight did not go his way. Then all of a sudden, a new subplot came in. It's like, right, okay, I can't let this just sit as a loss. I need to get this win back. So he, he, he lobbied the UFC really strong to get the rematch. They, uh, they acquiesced and gave him the rematch. All the while this is happening, the featherweight division is basically sitting stagnant. And um, you've got this issue where McGregor's gone after, the, uh, gone after the rematch with Diaz. He's got his revenge now. So now... He's managed to sort of expunge his loss, if, if, if that makes sense. Now he's got a decision to make because it isn't a case of he won the featherweight title and then he jumped up and fought for the lightweight title. We've now had a period of nine months go by. And if he's not going to fight, or sorry, if he isn't going to defend that featherweight title now, then really he, he needs to be relinquishing the belt. Now, I think what he probably wants... I think what he probably wants is to fight Eddie Alvarez for the lightweight title. But I think he wants to do that as the reigning UFC featherweight champion. Because I think making history is something that really means something to Conor McGregor. And I think that's going to be the sticking point. Because I think he wants to be able to do what he'd set out to do in the first place. Which was win the featherweight title, then go and win the lightweight title. And have those two belts at the same time cement his place... Uh, in, in mixed martial arts history as the first person to ever do this in the UFC. Now, because of the length of time that's elapsed, it's a big ask to then for the UFC to then say, do you know what, we're going to put the, the uh, featherweight division on hold even further so that McGregor can go for this historic thing. But the, the trouble here is he hasn't defended his title. If he'd made mm. a title defence within that, within that time span... I think the UFC would be more prepared to extend it. Um, there's also other issues at play here. He doesn't turn up for media things on time. And while before it might have been a bit of a, a bit of a charming thing and you know a bit of a, a character thing, people sort of laugh and chuckle. Oh, it's Connor being Connor. And uh, from what I understand, it isn't uh, Connor deliberately being difficult. It's just the way he is. He's just incredibly laid back. And he just does stuff when he does stuff. I don't think it's a disrespect thing. But it has got to the point where the UFC are clearly pissed off about it. Now, Dana White in that press conference, before the bottle started throwing, was not a happy camper at all. 
Um, and the first question that was asked, uh, uh, John Morgan asked him, he had to address you know, the topic of the fact that McGregor wasn't in the room and Dana was not happy. So there's all of that sort of subplot to the side as well. Um, what I want to see happen... Well, basically, I, I, I think there are four viable fights for Conor McGregor. There's the Jose Aldo fight. I know it was 13 seconds, but I, I, I basically equate that fight to the Cat Zingano-Ronda Rousey fight. Aldo and Zingano both gave the fight away before they gave themselves a chance to win. If that fight happens again, I firmly believe that fight is not... It's not going to last 13 seconds or only 13 seconds. I think the fight will go deep. And I think I think we'll see an absolute barn burner. I really do. And I'd love to see that fight again. I don't think we'll ever see it unless Aldo moves up to 155. The other fight, the second fight, is the, is the fight that I think is most likely to happen. And that's the Eddie Alvarez title fight. I can see that being the main event in New York City uh, back, uh, sorry, in, in November. The third fight is a rematch with Nate Diaz. I don't think that fight makes sense right now. Financial sense, yes, but sporting sense, not at all. I think what needs to happen is McGregor needs to win the lightweight title. Diaz needs to jump back into the lightweight ranks, beat a top five guy. Then you've got your trilogy match with UFC gold on the line. And the fourth fight, which is your X-Factor fight, this is your dream, all, all your MMA uh, money-making dreams coming coming uh, coming home to roost in one in one go is GSP versus Conor McGregor. GSP has said that he could potentially fight at 155 pounds. Conor McGregor has fought at 170 pounds. Whether that fight is at 170 pounds, whether the fight is at 155 pounds, or whether they do it as like a 165 catch weight, that fight will smash pay-per-view records out of the water. And don't think that's not a possibility. I really think that that is something that could potentially happen. Um, so I think that's that's your X-factor fight. But for me, I want to see him fight for the lightweight title, but I think he needs to relinquish his belt to do that. And I think he needs to move on uh, and fight at his best weight division. That's what I want to see him do. Eddie Alvarez, Conor McGregor, New York City, lightweight championship. That's my pick. So there we go. That's UFC 202. Another big talking point has been in the world of Bellator MMA, who have made a huge free agent signing. Uh, Matt Mitrione is obviously now over there and doing good things. Uh, four and one at Bellator 158 in London. They also signed Benson Henderson, uh, who won at the weekend at Bellator 160 against uh, Patricio Pitbull. Uh, unfortunate injury to Pitbull. I think broke his leg in that fight. Uh, broken fibula. But Benson Henderson is now moving up to fight Michael Chandler for the Bellator lightweight title, uh, I believe, in November. But the big the big news, Rory MacDonald, the Red King, uh, former UFC title challenger, perennial title contender, has now jumped ship from the UFC and has joined the Bellator family. Sandy, what would you make of the move? It was a blockbuster move by Bellator, I think. Of all the free agents they could have signed, I mean, I know that um, Cowboy Cerrone, I believe, said he was a free agent, but then later, as it turned out, um, he still had one fight left on his contract, and and then uh, essentially he's also just re-signed a brand new contract with the UFC. Um, coming out of uh, UFC 202, Lorenz Larkin looked really, really good, and um, and he's obviously uh, coming into uh, free agency right now. Um, but the big move, obviously, Rory McDonald, he's been a free agent for a while. Um, he had, uh, there was a 60-day, I believe, exclusive rights uh, period to talk with the UFC um, and after that he was able to kind of you know, get some offers from other organisations and Bellator 
essentially made an offer that either the UFC couldn't match or weren't willing to match. Now, given the fact that the UFC were just bought for $4 billion, I don't think monetarily it's anything that they couldn't match. I just feel as though um, Dana White, Sean Shelby and Joe Silver maybe thought, you know, McDonald, he's he's 0-2 in his last two and maybe he's on his decline um, and that's why we're not going to match uh, the offer that Bellator have given. Now, for Bellator, what they've got is, you know, they've got a fighter in Rory McDonald that, num- number one, has been promoted as one of the best welterweights in the world for quite some time by the UFC. He's a former title challenger, but he's also somebody that he can use to break into the Canadian market. Outside of George St. Pierre, Canada hasn't really been able to produce a draw uh, for the UFC or in the world of MMA um, that's close to GSP's caliber. The next best has been Rory McDonald. Um, and it's interesting that this news came um, in a week where the UFC were heading back to Vancouver, which is Rory McDonald's hometown. Um, and although you know they drew uh, an attendance of 10,500, the entire upper bowl was completely blacked out. So it was only the lower bowl that they sold in Vancouver, and which is kind of interesting because Canada historically has always traditionally been a hotbed when GSP was doing his thing for, for the promotion. But Bellator, what they've got now is they've got somebody that will go right into that welterweight division, and you've got some mouth-watering potential matchups. You've got the likes of Paul Daly, MVP, Michael Venom Page. You've got the champion, Andre Koreshkov, Douglas Lima. And these are all fresh fights, and they'll be all be interesting fights. And he's it made a lot of waves. You know, Rory McDonald has been quite open in already uh, giving some nice little sound bites. You know, referring to the uniform deal, how he thought that all the UFC fighters were looking quite boring, and didn't, they weren't able to showcase their personality because they were looking so uniform in, in the Reebok kit. Uh, and I think as as and when he starts to give more interviews and starts to open up about his experience with the UFC and what he's got uh, with this opportunity with Bellator, we'll start to see some more uh, quotes come out from Rory. And who knows, could this be, you know, uh, the catalyst that really brings in more UFC fighters to Bellator? And will UFC fighters start to explore the idea of free agency more now that somebody who's still in his mid-20s, somebody that perhaps hasn't really hit his prime yet, has decided to make the move to Bellator. So so I think this is definitely a a, a watershed moment for for, for free agency as a hot topic at MMA, and and Rory McDonald is definitely the poster boy. Absolutely, and I think... I think as a general thing, I think competition is is, is something that, that needs to be welcomed, and and the ability of, uh, for fighters to be able to to actually leverage their position and 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 sort of go out there and test the open market and be in a position where they can get a good deal somewhere other than the UFC. It it basically brings everybody up. It means that everybody will be leaner in terms of their rosters. I think people will hopefully over over a period of time start to be getting paid a little bit more and I think I think what we'll get is uh, very strong you know a very strong product in Bellator and obviously the UFC have got have got the, uh, the, the, the the sort of class leading product at the moment and you know Bellator needs stars and I think in Rory McDonald they've got one you listed some of the potential the potential options for uh, for Rory and obviously we're the Brit pack you know we're we always have an eye on 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 the, on the British guys and who wouldn't want to see Paul Semtex Daly versus Rory McDonald? I'd love to see that fight. I think that would be 
an absolute barn burner to introduce Rory Mack to uh, to the Bellator cage. And uh, I know Paul Daly needs a fight. He's looking around, and you know, obviously, he lost to Douglas Lima in London, and uh, he basically sees himself as like the next best guy below Douglas Lima and Andre Koreshkov. But in order to keep him going, he needs to fight a top-level guy. A top-level guy has just pitched up in the Bellator promotion. So uh, for me, that seems like an absolute slam dunk. I will put uh, Rory Mack and uh, Paul Santex Daly in there uh, as, as soon as as soon as they're both available. I think that would be a, a, an absolute no-lose fight. It would be fantastic to see. Um, and, and, and for Rory, you know, if he's going out there and getting a better deal for himself, all power to him. And uh, I look forward to seeing... How he gets on. He also uh, teased that he might also be interested in moving up to 185 and going after that one that, that middleweight belt in Bellator as well. So uh, that opens up a whole other load of fights for him. So uh, looking forward to seeing, A, how Rory McDonald gets on in Bellator, and B, whether that just opens the door a little bit more for a few other free agents to move across to Bellator and bolster their ranks. Um, it'd be interesting to see how things progress in the weeks and months ahead. But uh, Rory Max seems to have got himself a fantastic deal, and all power to him. Um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be good fun seeing some of those fresh matchups uh, a bit further down the line. One matchup which isn't necessarily fresh, but it's one that's fresh in our mind is uh, Michael the Count Bisbing. He uh, obviously de- he obviously defeated Luke Rockhold, knocked him out um, in around about three minutes, three minutes twenty seconds, I think it was at UFC one ninety nine, shocked the world to become. Britain's first UFC world champion, the UFC middleweight champion, has now got his first defence. It's back on home soil. It's in Manchester. It's against Dan Henderson, the man who who uh, absolutely laid him out flat at UFC 100. And uh, it's an event that is going to take place uh, in the middle of the night here in the UK to tie in with the US pay-per-view uh, time. So basically, for the US, uh, uh, sorry, for the UK viewers who who are going to watch the fight on TV. The timings are going to be the same, I believe. So that you know the uh, the TV prelims will be at one a.m. The main card will start at three a.m., which means that Bisping, I'm guessing, will probably be walking to the octagon at around about five a.m. UK time. So it's going to be a it's going to be a weird thing for us Brits who are going to be over in the arena covering the event. We're going to need to get ourselves on American time, I think, to make sure we can actually get through all of this. Um, but we've been waiting for confirmation, Sandu. Finally, we have it. Uh, we also have quite a few fights, which uh, I'll run you through in a second. But uh, let's, let's talk about this Bisbing-Henderson fight and, and the actual event itself. Um, what's your take on it being held in the middle of the night and what do you make on, on the matchup itself? Yeah, I think uh, the worst-kept secret in the UFC is finally out. I mean, essentially, yeah, Dan Henderson and Michael Bisping both announced the fight um, and then the UFC finally made it official. I don't know why the UFC took so long to make it official. I think we've, we've discussed this before in, in previous shows. Maybe it had to do with just getting the kind of the the I's dotted and the T's crossed with regards to late night permits and so and, and whatnot uh, in, in in Manchester. But um, but it was from a promotional standpoint, and I think that's the, that's that's where I'm coming from here. If I'm the UFC, that's the fight to make. You've got your first ever British champion in Michael Bisping. Um, you're trying to obviously strengthen your presence in the UK market, get you know more mainstream media exposure, and to finally have a British champion, you've got to bring an event to England. Now, with the fact that it's late at night, I know a lot of our you know North American media colleagues have kind of raised their eyebrows um, at this, but I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm always too much of an optimist. I'm not too sure. But look, if you're an MMA fan, if you're a UFC fan, 
they're based in the UK, you're essentially used to staying up that late anyway. So if you're going to stay up for UFC 201, 202, 203 until 5, 6 o'clock in the morning, and but you've got now got the opportunity to go to UFC 204, and you've got an opportunity to watch the first of a British champion defend his title for the very first time, I think it's going to be a special moment to be actually in, be in the arena. Um, you know, you've got all evening to kind of obviously get your beers in and whatnot and get to the arena for, say, 11 o'clock, which I think will be the start time of the card. And then you'll be up until, say, 4 or 5 in the morning. Um, I, I think if the UFC were regularly bringing cards to the UK where they were on until 4 or 5 in the morning, then perhaps, and you didn't have a champion in Michael Bisping, then, I, then perhaps that would definitely be the wrong move. But I think this is one of those one-offs that makes sense, it works, um, and I've got no problem with, with, the, with the match. I think there's a storyline and an angle there dating back to UFC 107 years ago. You've got Michael Bisping out for revenge. You've got Dan Henderson essentially going to walk off in, into the sunset, into the distance, win or lose. So, so there's a nice storyline aspect to the fight. Um, but I think with regards to the UK market, this was a right move from the UFC. It's a, it's a fight that um, I supported and speculated before before the fight um, was officially announced. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I think what you could potentially do now with Jacques Array, Weidman, Rockhold, and Romero is, is almost have uh, an unofficial um, middleweight um, tournament title eliminator between the between the four um, to set up the next opponent for the winner of of Michael Bisping, Dan Henderson. Or in fact, if Dan Henderson sticks to his word and walks off into the sunset, then there'll be a vacant championship to go for. Uh, but in regards to the actual uh, championship fight taking place in Manchester at four or five in the morning, it's no skin off our nose, I suppose, if you're in the UK and you're, and you're up staying up most nights uh, watching the UFC or Bellator on weekends. So I've got no problem with the time zone uh, because it is uh, a one-off. Yeah, I think... I think for the people in the arena, it's going to be special. I think uh, yeah. you know the fact that it's in the middle of the night. I think it just adds to the uh, adds to the event almost. You know, it's not your normal thing that you would do. So, yeah. I think for those in the arena, it's special. I do feel for the UK fans who are going to have to stay up and watch it late, just because there's really no benefit to the fight being in the UK for those guys. It's like watching a Vegas show. So, so I understand that. And to be honest, the biggest the biggest miss is the fact that. It isn't on prime time. It doesn't pull in the casual fans, and I think that would yeah. have been that in terms of a in terms of the growth of the sport in this on this side of the pond. That for me is 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 the uh, the biggest the biggest thing we're going to miss out on here is it's you know for the hardcore fans who are going to watch it anyway. It makes very little difference. It's just like another Vegas show, but. The idea surely is to get this sport to as many people as possible. Get it, get it out there, and unfortunately, the strength of the, uh, the UFC's business model it really does sit around pay per view revenue. And yep. to effectively sacrifice a pay per view um, in order to to grow a market that's a big call to make. Um, and they've obviously decided that it was too big a call to make because. Um, I thought there was a golden opportunity here for them to put this on at prime time and really make a statement and say, we've been waiting a long time for a British world champion in the UFC. Now we've got one. UK, here's your show. And they've kind of done it. They've given us a big pay-per-view card. I'll run you through the fights in a second. But we've got a pay-per-view card. We've got a pay-per-view event. We've got a world champion. And 
you know, in fact, we've got we've got a few world champions on this card. Uh, you know, former former world champs. So, um, so we've got that, but it has they've not quite gone all the way with it. And and I would have loved them to have said, we're going to hold this at UK time. We're going to give this one for free to the US fans on Fight Pass. Um, and but it is going to effectively be a pay per view level show. You know, it will still be a. It doesn't have to have a number on it. It doesn't have to be UFC 204. It could have been UFC Fight Night. Really, that's just semantics. But what we really, I think, could have done with was a big world championship show in a big arena at UK primetime. And, you know, we might have had our Bonner Griffin moment. You know, I think if that Michael Bisping Anderson Silver fight, which was held primetime over here, but wasn't held, but wasn't shown on television, if that had been on TV, that would have been the Bonner Griffin moment. People would have been ringing each other up going, I know you see this sometimes, but you need to tune in and watch this fight. It's ridiculous. And I think, uh, you know, just with the way the business model worked at the time, that wasn't doable. But for this, I would have loved it to have been prime time. That said, Bisping versus Henderson, I think is a great matchup. I think I agree with everything you said. One thing that's worth mentioning, Bisping didn't ask for this fight. And I think, I think there is, there is a misconception out there that, Bisbing's the champion and he's he's decided to to swerve all of the top contenders in order to chase some sort of revenge against Dan Henderson. And that really couldn't be further from the truth. Bisbing has never turned down a fight. Um I, I, I chatted to him in Vegas and he was he was at pains to tell me that um Dana White rang him like two, three days after the fight and so, um after the Rockhold fight and said, We're thinking about Dan Henderson, what do you think? And he's like, Yeah, suits me. I I, I owe this guy. So and that's how it all went. And um, so, yes, there's a revenge angle there, but Bisbing didn't demand it. If they'd have said, um, we want you to fight Jacare Souza, who, in my opinion, is the most deserving contender out there right now, then Bisbing, he said to me, I'd have said, yeah, 100%, and he'd have gone to the gym and started working some jiu-jitsu straight away. So um, he'll, he'll fight whoever. Um, he really doesn't care. Um, but something he did say to me, and I think this is interesting, um, he said he wants to make three successful title defenses, and then he wants to hang his gloves up. So, so this is this this will be number one, um, and he wants to get this one out of the way. He's never lost in the UK, and interestingly, he's never headlined in Manchester. Um, he's fought in Manchester before, but he's never actually headlined in Manchester. So this is a special one for him. Um, and if he can get this one done, I think this will this will top his list of achievements so far in the UFC. But then he wants to win two more. Um, I would guess would it be a rematch against Rockhold or a Wideman or a Jackaray? He probably need to fight two of those, and then uh, I think if he can get through those two, he said he can walk away from the sport as a champion, as arguably the most successful or one of the most successful middleweight fighters in UFC history. That would be a great way for him to go. But step one, beat Dan Henderson in Manchester. Um, it's it's an interesting one, but. That's not the only fight on this card. We've got Vitor Belfort versus Gegard Mousasi. It's listed as a co-main. It hasn't officially... I don't think it's officially been uh, mm. slated as a co-main. There may be other another fight or two added to this card. Uh, it's looking like it will be, though. Ovin St. Prue versus Jimmy Manoa, a light heavyweight. Ruslan Magomedov, uh, Russian heavyweight, taking on Stefan Struve. Uh, Leonardo Santos against Adriano Martins at lightweight. Yuri Alcantara versus Brad Pickett. That was due to happen in Hamburg next weekend. Pickett picked up a bit of an injury. That's going to be on UFC 204. 
Damian Stasiak versus David Grant, a UK fighter. Uh, had a long time out, came back in London and fought superbly. He's back on the card. Leon Edwards versus Albert Tumanov. I wanted to ask you about this one. Uh, we know what Leon Edwards is like as a fighter. You know, he's he's uh, he's a slick striker. He showed his, his wrestling and grappling had come on a bundle the last time we saw him in action. He's got a tough, tough assignment against Albert Tumanov. Yeah, I mean, Tumanov, he's a, he's a fantastic striker in his own right. And I think that could potentially be a fight of the night candidate uh, with these two guys going at it. But um, I think what Leon Edwards has got here is an opportunity to once again showcase you know, his own skill set. Uh, being a Brit is a massive uh, show to be on. It's, a, it's the first time he's been involved in a, in a pay-per-view event, although he's not on the main card himself. Uh, but I think this this could be one of those kind of you know, platforms for him to finally um, get a big name victory under his belt um, and really push on from there. Absolutely. Uh, Ian, Ian Entwistle, another British in action against Rob Font. And two more fights I wanted to I wanted to just very briefly touch on. Mursad Bektit is taking on Arnold Allen. That's an unbelievable fight at, at, at £145. I mean, that's a tough assignment for Arnold Allen, who is still very young in his career and obviously very young in his UFC career. Bektik is the real deal. He is, and he's undefeated. Um, when I saw this fight get announced, I did kind of wince a little bit. I mean, I know that Arnold Allen um, is just obviously, you know, broke into the UFC over the last 12 months or so. But Misad Bektic, you know, he's really entering, entering his prime. He's 25 years old, and he just seems to look better and better with each performance. I will say this, though. Um, Bektic hasn't fought um, in around about a year now. I think it's been over a year. I think he last fought uh, back in May of last year. And um, and it'll be, a, it'll be interesting to see what kind of um, Bektic, you know, we get uh, come fight night. Uh, but kudos to Alan for accepting the fight. Um, I, but I, I do think this will be, the, without a doubt, the toughest test to date. And if he can beat Bektic, well, that will certainly be a statement in its own right. Absolutely. I mean, people will get start to get very excited about Arnold Allen. I mean, a lot of people are very excited about Arnold Allen already. But if he can if he can deal with Mersad Bektik, then we, we you know we really have got a star on our hands. So really looking forward to seeing how that one goes. And there is one more fight that's been announced for this card: Danny Roberts, Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts uh, from Merseyside, now bases himself in Florida, uh, fighting out at the Black Zillions Gym, taking on a man who made a few headlines of his own uh, at UFC 202, Mike Platinum Perry. Um, I don't know whether you saw too much of him during uh, during the coverage of UFC 202, Sandu, but this guy, Mike Perry, he's a bit of a character. He certainly is, and I definitely took notice. Um, he obviously did the old, I want to shake your hand, and then he took it away at the last minute uh, during the weigh-ins at UFC 202, which almost, in a way, is tempting the MMA god to strike down on your performance, but he defied the MMA gods. He got a massive knockout win at UFC 202. And I know there were a few um, eyebrows raised with regards to, um, you know, some of the uh, the, ra- the racial comments that his, his cornermen made, um, which there was an audio clip or a video clip that was released online afterwards. Um, you know, that's something for the UFC to investigate. And I know that Dave Scholler came out on Twitter and said that they were looking into it. Uh, that certainly isn't something that Mike Perry himself said. Uh, that's something that his corner is going to cornerman is going to have to deal with. Uh, but I was surprised to see that the, the UFC book him so soon. And, and I think when the, the fight got announced, some of the, um, the 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 
fans and media members on in the MMA community uh, were wondering whether he'd actually um, get a visa uh, to come to Manchester because he is currently on probation um, uh, for some criminal activity uh, in the States. I think it was a, a burglary um, he was involved with uh, quite a few years ago. Uh, but I actually reached out to his manager to find out uh, if there were going to be any issues there. And uh, he told me that the UFC had done a really good job in making sure that the visa um, situation would be a non-factor in getting him over to Manchester. So he's going to be there. And, and, and like I said, I think, you know, taking some of the controversial things that his cornerman said in the fight, putting that to one side, I think he's certainly a character. I think he could be one of those guys um, that uh, plays up the heel role almost. Uh, I remember Josh Koscheck played it fantastically well in his rivalry uh, with GSP. And I think we've got so many fighters um, in the UFC that perhaps want to be liked by the fans, want to grow a fan base, obviously you know, come from a, a, a martial arts background, which is very much all about respect and discipline and so forth. And to see someone like Mike Perry come through, I, I really want him to embrace the heel role and become uh, a villain um, because I think... If you've got someone like him, then you've got someone to boo against. And that's what you want. You want fighters to come out and have people um, that cheer for them um, or boo them. But they don't want any fans to be indifferent. And if you can't get fans to get behind him uh, as, a, as a baby face, to, to use a pro wrestling term, um, then why not embrace the villain and the heel role uh, and run with that? Especially as you're just starting out in the UFC. You've got one fight under your belt. And if you want to really rise through the ranks and make a name for yourself, that's certainly one way you can do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd, I'd heard uh, early in fight week that this uh, this Mike Perry guy was a bit of a character. So when it got to media day, I'd just, I'd just done a media scrum with Donald Cowboy Cerrone. And uh, the, the next seat along was Mike Perry, and he had no one talking to him. And uh, I remember being told that he's a bit of a character, and he was, he was all done up to the nines. He's all suited and booted, looking very slick, uh, wear, uh, wearing a hat. So I thought, right, OK, I'm, I'm going to go over and have a chat with him. And he was an absolute blast to talk to. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I talked to him and uh, he came across really well. And obviously he's got he's got some stuff in his, in his past. You look through the UFC roster, there's a lot of guys on the UFC roster who've got some stuff in their past. So I think for, for people to single him out particularly might be a little bit unfair. Um, as for the corner man thing, the most interesting thing about that for me is I believe... And I stand, I stand to be corrected here, but I believe the person who was accused of saying the things that were uh, racially questionable uh, was a guy by the name of Alex Nicholson, who I believe has had two fights in the UFC. So I don't know whether he's still contracted uh, with the UFC or whether he's going to be separately dealt with. But um, my understanding is it might have been him who said the uh, said the slightly racial racially questionable remarks uh, in his corner before that fight. As to Mike Perry himself, he's an exciting fighter who's got a real character. And I said after the fight, I said, this guy's a real character. We should get him on a European card. I think the media could have a lot of fun with him. And uh, within a matter of days, bang, he's been put on this uh, on this UFC Manchester card. So uh, I'm looking forward I'm looking forward to chatting with him again. He was he was good fun to talk to in, in Vegas. Danny Roberts is is a is a rising British star, and I think uh, I think he has a more polished MMA game than Mike Perry. Mike Perry is he's all he's all uh, power, one punch knockout power. Whereas Roberts is a bit more seasoned and a little bit more a little bit more uh, slick in terms of his skill set. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that one pans out. 
I wouldn't be surprised if we saw another fight or two added to this card yet. I think we've got 11 announced fights. I, I think we might have 12 or 13 by the time the uh, the fight card is finished. So uh, keep your ear to the ground and see see whether we get anything else in the coming days and weeks. Um, yeah, I think the UFC usually announces another fight when tickets go on sale, and I think tickets are going sale um, in the next couple of weeks. So I think, I mean, I, I tweeted out an image of the fight card a couple of days ago just to kind of gauge some of the, the interest from those that follow me. And I think everyone seems to, um, you know, be all, all, all right with the card. I mean, it's typically, I mean, you take away uh, a championship belt um, that Michael Bisping has, and, and you know, I think it's fair to say it's a, it's it's uh, probably the upper echelon of what you'll get in a typical UFC fight night series in Europe. Uh, but because the championship belt is on the line, that immediately raises the stakes and you know catapults it to UFC pay per view level. But I think most people were kind of pretty acceptive of the card itself. Uh, we'll see if the UFC can perhaps, you know, they've got a, a you know an ace up the sleeve and you know give us one more stellar fight uh, when tickets go on sale. Um, but apart from that, I think everyone seems to be okay with it, and we'll, we'll I guess we'll find out what this time zone really means when tickets go on sale. We'll find out if it's actually got a detrimental impact on ticket sales. Um, you know that may, maybe most of the North American media perceive it to have. Um, I don't think it'll have any impact. I think these tickets are going to go flying off the shelf, and I think it's going to be a, a pretty quick sellout. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I mean, we don't we don't get that many. Uh, shows in the UK. I mean, we are getting them more regularly now, which is great. Uh, we've also got shown Belfast later this year as well, which is great uh, to, to you know to have the UFC back over there at the Odyssey Arena. Um, looking forward to seeing who they who they put on the card. I think Gunnar Nelson has been rumoured as a potential main event uh, on, on on that particular card. So we'll see we'll see what 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 happens with regard to the Belfast show. But for Manchester, I think it's Bisbing coming home. It's a world title fight. First time to watch a Brit defending his world title. Uh, you know, and, and, and you know, the Northwest is, is is a fighting hotbed. I think the tickets will fly off the shelves. I, th- I think we'll see in excess of 15,000, 16,000 in that arena. No problem at all. Um, and uh, hopefully... Yeah, I, I think... I th- Oh, go on, go on. Yeah, sorry, I messed up this. Um, <laughs> no, 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 sorry. that's all right. You can probably edit that bit out afterwards as well. But I was going to say, I've got to shoot in about 10 minutes. Let's try and quickly get through these questions for this next segment. All right, cool. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure the tickets will fly off the shelves. We'll see 15,000, 16,000 in the arena on fight night. We have been recording for quite some time. This is turning into quite a long version of the Brit Pack. We need to kick things up a gear. We'll go to your questions. We've been, uh, we've been asking for your questions earlier this week. And uh, as usual, we've had we've had a fair a fair selection of questions, which uh, Mr. Sandu, I believe, has got in front of him over there. Yeah, absolutely. We've got Daryl Chumbley uh, tweeting in: If a fighter is thinking of stepping away, should people try to convince them otherwise regarding Condit? Um, and I think we spoke about this already earlier on the show. I think if Condit wants to make the decision to walk away, I don't think anybody um, you know will be will be questioning that. You know, like we said, thank you for your service. Uh, but ultimately, the decision lies with him, and whatever he decides, you've got to respect that. No, absolutely. I think I think it's fine for people to try and convince someone to stop fighting um, for their own good, but to try and convince people to carry on, I think, is a little bit tricky, especially in a sport like this. You know, this isn't this, you know they're not playing soccer here. You know, this is this is this is physical damage they're doing to themselves. So, um, if someone thinks that you know they want to walk away, then all the best to them. Let them walk away. You know, it's uh, it's, it's it's their body and their well being. So. Uh, yeah, certainly, certainly we wouldn't try and convince him to go back. Jack Hart tweets in and says, what's next for the Ultimate Fighter? 
Will this next season rejuvenate the brand or is it time for the UFC to move on? For me, I haven't really watched The Ultimate Fire for a few years. I can't even tell you what the last season was um, that I watched. Um, I know that the upcoming season, you've essentially got um, the majority of uh, the local regional promotional champions at Flyweight all coming into the show to essentially get a crack at Demetrius Johnson um, later on this year. Um, and then you've got Henry Cejudo and Joseph Benavides as the coaches. Um, but um, but it's kind of interesting. I mean, how are, how are those two guys going to be able to part any knowledge of how to beat Demetrius Johnson when they haven't been able to do it themselves? Um, but um, but what do you think, Sai? I mean, is this going to be the season or the concept for the show that will rejuvenate it? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I mean, here's the thing, right? Let's, let's just look at this. This current season is about to start. You've just, you've just teed it up nicely there. They've, they've found a load of regional promotional champions and they've put them in a tournament to give them, the, the winner of the tournament, a shot at Demetrius Johnson. And who have they got coaching them? The two guys who could probably smoke everybody on the entire show but won't get the shot. It makes no sense. None whatsoever. You know, you, Benavidez is probably the number two guy in that division, but he's fought, he's fought um, Demetrius Johnson so many times um, that they have to start putting other fights in the way before they can get him back in there again. Cejudo was thought to be a test. Johnson absolutely put him away with ease. So... The problem is you've got this, it, it make, but it makes no sense. It makes no sense. And as for the show, I think the UFC have got this. I, th I think they're onto something with the Dana White looking for a fight show. I think they've got something here. It allows them to be a lot more selective in terms of looking for talent. You know, they earmark people that they want to go and see. They can go and do that. You've got the whole road trip feel to the show. It's instantly more watchable than the Ultimate Fighter. It's not dragged out. I think have that. Maybe film maybe film a few of them in advance and put out like a six show run or an eight show run like you would a normal TV series. And do that. I believe that Netflix are picking up the show. I think that's what I heard. Um so so if that happens, then maybe that's what they're looking to do. But yeah, I mean the Ultimate Fighter worked for you know, for back then and I think right now it really doesn't. And unless you're going to go back and do it in, in a particular market. So go back to the UK as an example and do the Ultimate Fighter UK and look and do it so that you've got a contract to join the UFC, just like it used to be, and do it for a specific market. But the problem is what happens is they tend to put lots of fighters in and you know the quality level tends to sort of dilute and all the rest of it. I I, I think I think the show is as out as outlasted its usefulness now, and they should I think they should put all their resources into building this looking for a fight thing because I think I think they're onto a winner with that. Right, Gearism tweets in and says, "Is there a fight the UFC could book right now to sell out Cowboy Stadium?" Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head earlier on the show, Simon. I think if you get currently the biggest draw and biggest star in the sport in Conor McGregor. And you get historically, who Dana Wyatt says has been the biggest pay-per-view draw in UFC history in George St. Pierre. You put them together at either 155 or a catch weight at 160 or 165, or even at welterweight. That is the one fight you could make that could potentially um, sell out Cowboy Stadium. You'll have basically the entire nation of Canada popping down to Texas. You'll have... You know, as many folks as possible who can afford it at this stage uh, in Ireland uh, pop down to Texas and then you've got 
that whole Midwest Southwest belt. Um, uh, I think it will take an entire card to try and pull something like that off. I was at Cowboy Stadium earlier this year uh, for WWE's uh, WrestleMania, and it's an amazing stadium and structure to be in. Um, but if I had to put all my eggs in one basket and put one fight on, like you said, Simon, earlier on the show, it's got to be McGregor GSP, right? Absolutely. And I, I, to be honest, I don't think that would be enough. I, th- I think, I yeah. think, I think you also need to put the next biggest fight on that card, and that would be Ronda Rousey versus Cyborg Justino. I think. Yeah. I think if you put those two on the top of a stellar fight card, then I think you've got something. What you got to bear in mind is Conor McGregor fought Nate Diaz just a week and a bit ago. They didn't fill the T-Mobile Arena, so and that's twenty thousand seats. So they'd have to look at things like ticket pricing and things like that, and make it very accessible for people to actually get tickets and get in the building and, and look look to really make an occasion of it. Um, and uh, but yeah, if you're looking for super fights to put on that card, uh, McGregor GSP is probably the biggest the biggest one that's potentially available to you. The other one is to get Ronda Rousey and Cyborg in in uh, in the octagon at whatever weight class they can both agree to. Um, but they are, they are for me, the two super fights that are within reach, but we may or may not ever see if they can make both of those happen and you put them in Cowboy stadium, that's their best chance of selling that place out. No problem. Absolutely. The next one comes in from Nick Williams, simple, short to the point, Buffalo wild wings or Nando's. Now, for those that um, are listening, uh, if you listen to our good friend, MMA junkie, John and Ken S Hathaway on the MMA Roadshow, you'll know that they quite often record the show at their favourite spot in Las Vegas, Buffalo Wild Wings. Now, I've been to Buffalo Wild Wings, so I, I, th- I believe you've been uh, there as well on one or two occasions with the chaps over in Vegas. It doesn't hold a light to Nando's, no chance whatsoever. Nando's is something special. Um, it'll always be the best grilled chicken I've ever had uh, and ever will have uh, until something else can you know, prove otherwise. Uh, but if you're asking me to eat at Buffalo Wild with Nando's, it's Nando's all day long. I'm me. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna get involved in an argument now, because oh, no. because I'm 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 more of a B Dubs kind of guy, and I, I I I'll tell you why. I love Nando's, right? We all love the Nando's. It's like a staple diet for British MMA media. So much so that um, when Bellator held their event over in London, rather than hold some sort of buffet or anything. Uh, as a pre-fight meal for for the journalists, they gave us all Nando's gift cards to go and eat at Nando's. That is research, ladies and gentlemen. They know what they're doing. Now, I like my Nando's, but I'm 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 more of a Buffalo Wild Wings kind of guy. I like having the big the, uh, the big screens with the sport on the go. I like having the music over the speakers. I like having the the wide variety of cold beers. And uh, yeah, I'm 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 a sucker for the uh, for their for their chicken tenders as well. So. I might be out on a limb right now, but give me B-dubs. I'll have B-dubs. We'll have to pick this argument up maybe in Manchester when we're all together. In Nando's, um, probably, yeah. Yeah, in Nando's, <laughs> most likely. Um, Jussie uh, tweets and says, thoughts on CM Punk's upcoming debut at UFC 203? And then we have the People's Hero who tweets in and says, do you think we'll ever see CM Punk back in the WWE? Um, I mean... The CM Punk's got this show right now called The Evolution of Punk uh, that's airing on Fox Sports in America. Then it's available, I believe, on Fight Pass and also on UFC's YouTube channel, um, you know, a few days after it airs in in the States. Um, I mean, 
it's, it's been a while since the initial announcement, so I'm just ready to see what kind of fighter we've got in CM Punk as a mixed martial artist. Um, I don't really have the buzz um, as I did when the announcement was first made that he was going to fight at the UFC because it's coming up to almost two years. I think come fight week, when there's some more you know, fight week quotes and press conference and open workouts and, and the inevitable face-off with Mickey Gall, I'll start to get a little bit more amped up. Um, but yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing what kind of fight we're going to get. What do you think, Sai? Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how he gets on. I mean, I've got a lot of respect for the guy for, for doing what he's doing. I also completely understand uh, the the opposing view that he shouldn't really be fighting in the UFC. And I understand that. And I, to a large extent, I agree with that. But, you know, this is, this, is, this is sport and entertainment we're talking about here. And you're marrying the two together. And I think now we know he's in there. And I think he's, he's treating the sport itself with respect. I think uh, you're watching the program, the, uh, the Evolution of Punk show. He's, doing, he's trying to do this the right way. I've got to be honest, he doesn't look that great so far. Now, I don't know whether they're deliberately sandbagging uh, so that he comes out and looks way better on fight night. There is that possibility. But he, uh, he, he to be honest, he looks like he's going to get lit up by, by, by Mickey Gall, who himself has only just come out of the amateur ranks. But he looks a lot more polished than, 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 uh, than CM Punk uh certainly has so far on that on that show but I've got nothing but respect for the guy and uh, I, I, I look forward to seeing how he goes if he wins great if he loses fine that's sport and and when it comes down to it all of the arguments about the rights and the wrongs and all the rest of it the ultimate you know like the uh, the crucible that will decide who's right and who's wrong and and whether you know whether he's legit or not is the octagon these two guys are going to get in there and fight um, and we'll, you know, we'll see who prevails on fight night. If it were me, I would be putting a sizable amount of money down on Mickey Gall to win that fight inside the distance. But who knows? Who knows? Um, but I've, I've got nothing but respect for the guy for getting in and giving it a go. Yeah, and with regards to whether we'll see CM Punk in the WWE ever again, I think never say never. I mean, I've seen, I think, you know, this is skewing a little bit off the talk of MMA, but in the world of professional wrestling, we've seen... A lot of wrestlers have their kind of, you know, butting heads with Vince McMahon and the, the the upper management brass at the WWE, but later on have been able to sort things out and, you know, make an appearance. The, the best example of that is probably Brett the Hitman Hart, um, who obviously had a massive fall, falling out with the, uh, the, 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 the McMahon family following the, the, the now notorious uh, Montreal screw job back at Survivor Series 1997. Um, so we'll see what happens. I mean, I think for now, I think CM Punk's just focused on his MMA career, um, whatever work he does with the UFC, whether it's from a fighting aspect or promotional aspect. We'll see where this journey you know, takes him. Uh, but, but I think sooner or later, inevitably, whether it's a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, whether it's a one-off or a, or, a, or a completely new run of its own, I think at some point we will see CM Punk back um, in the world of professional wrestling. And... Uh, and that's it, Simon. That was the final question of the day. Great stuff. Uh, you can get the Brick Pack on a whole range of different platforms. Uh, the main one, obviously, is iTunes. And if you are a regular listener, we've done enough shows now that people can be regular. If, you, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, please do jump on iTunes and, and uh, give, us, give us a rating and a review. Let us know how we're getting on. And uh, that would be really valuable to us. It helps us move up the, uh, move up the charts and move up the rankings on iTunes it all, all helps us um, we're on iTunes as I say we're on Stitcher 
We're on Acast. Um, also, you can spread the word via Twitter. You can get in touch with us on Twitter as well. Our show Twitter account is the Britpack MMA. Uh, you can follow Sandu at Sandu MMA. You can follow me at Simon Head. If you want to stream it live from the internet or you just want to jump on and listen to the show, soundcloud.com slash the Britpack is the place to go. Thanks to everyone for uh, for supporting the show up to this point. It seems to be just getting bigger and bigger every week, which is great and really encouraging to see. Uh, thanks for listening. We will talk to you again next Monday. And as we look back on the UFC Fight Night event in Hamburg, and as we look forward to UFC 203, CM Punk against Mickey Gall, and of course the world heavyweight title fight between Stipe Miocic and the Reem himself, Alistair Overeem. Until next time, enjoy the fights, and we'll speak to you next Monday. Yeah.